Today's Plugged In podcast is sponsored by Volvo Cars Canada. The Volvo XC40 Recharge is Volvo's first pure electric SUV. It's a powerful drive with no tailpipe emissions featuring more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And the integrated Google OS will always keep you fully connected, even without your phone. It truly is an SUV designed for the city and the rest of the planet. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. If you've been paying attention to the Canadian automotive industry lately, you'll know there has been a flurry of billion-dollar investment announcements, most of them pertaining to the manufacturing of electric vehicles and electric vehicle components. You'll also recognize the name of today's guest, as he's been at the forefront of promoting our country's automobile manufacturing sector. Jerry Diaz is the national president of Unifor, private sector union representing more than 315,000 Canadian workers in every major sector of the country's economy, including the Canadian auto workers. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm a dues-paying member of Unifor with my position as a post-media journalist. Welcome, Jerry. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure, Andrew. So, um, I don't know if this is hyperbole, but is it fair to say that electric vehicles have resurrected what was a struggling Canadian automotive manufacturing segment? Look, there's no question about it. Um, Up until our recent negotiations, over $300 billion uh, worth of announcements have been made by the global automakers, and not one nickel had been allocated to Canada for electric vehicles. So, it's easy to say that that's where the future is in the industry. And if you didn't get on board today, you were likely cut out for the long term. I think that really is the significance of what was accomplished. Right. So I guess the first kind of glimmer we saw of that in Canada is when you did the deal with Oshawa uh, GM um, and they made mention of this uh, this electric test track. Yeah, the it, there's no question when GM announced the closure of Oshawa in 2018, they had assumed that by opening up the major tech center and including the test track, that somehow that would be good enough and that there wouldn't be this big outcry from uh, Canadian consumers and and frankly us. Well, it didn't work out that way because when they made the announcement, the test track was good. But all that did was continue to make the argument that, look, if you've got the tech center and you've got a test track, well, then why don't you use it? Um, So that all became a part of the discussions that we had with GM. And then obviously with Ford and FCA coming on, um, that's more just a pure production of EVs. Absolutely. The the reason that we picked Ford to select a pattern is we knew that the Ford Edge in Oakville was coming to the end of its production cycle and nothing had been allocated. So when the news came out, we immediately contacted uh, Ford's headquarters and my contacts and started to ask what's next, because we knew we were in contract negotiations in September and there had to be a solution. And and to Ford Motor Company's credit, uh, they said, look, uh, we are working for a solution. We had talked about electric vehicles. I spent a lot of time talking with Navdeep Baines 
and, uh, and the provincial government, including Jamie Wallace, which is Doug Ford's chief of staff. So we had a lot of conversations going on. So by the time we negotiated the settlement with Ford that included the electric vehicles, the federal government and provincial government were all on board. So it was, it, let's just say that the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. It was strategic and it's worked out well for the industry. So, so looking back, I mean, when did EVs kind of come on your radar as a possibility of uh, being part of the manufacturing solution in Canada? Well, we started to think about it when we were looking at the global numbers. I mean, when you, when you were listening to Ford, GM, Chrysler, the major global OEMs all saying, look, um, 50% of the global market was going to be electric vehicles by the year 2040. That means time is running out. And the fact that they were already announcing investments and starting to, uh, you know, make commitments to assembly plants. And here we were in Canada going nowhere. Uh, it became an emergency for us and became our priority. And the other side of it is the federal government was giving all of the right signals. Uh, they were talking about greening the economy. They have a massive multi-billion dollar green infrastructure fund. So if a government is serious about investing in green technology um, and they're serious about eliminating um, you know, fossil fuels, then the best place to start is with the auto industry. Yeah, for sure. And as you say, I mean, the, the, you know, I'm not sure if I think probably the gasoline powered engine development is kind of stopped for most of these OEMs. All their research and development now is in electrics. Well, not necessarily because, you know, it depends on how you, you can look at it. The glass is half empty or half full. By the year 2040, you're likely still going to have 50% of the world market is going to be internal combustible engines. So there's still going to be that requirement. So there will still be investments on more fuel efficiency. Um, in the 2020 negotiations, we bargained the electric vehicles with Ford and Oakville, but we negotiated another engine derivative uh, for our Ford uh, plant in Windsor, which is, of course, the powertrain operations. So there's going to be more investment, I will argue, in ICE. And so you will see, um, like, is, like, it's what, like what is going to unfold in Windsor, where in Windsor, in the, in the plant, minivan plant or the Pacifica plant, we will have one, one assembly line building internal combustible engines and another assembly line building battery electric vehicles. So I think you're going to see more of that in time. One of, one of the criticisms from a, from a manufacturing point of view, or at least from a workforce point of view, is um, electric vehicles uh, being less complicated mechanically don't really require as many workers to assemble one. Um, they obviously don't have engines, gas engines. They don't have transmissions per se. Is that something, I mean, is it just a reality that the, to build one car, the workforce is going to be smaller? There's no question. Uh, you're, you're dead on. It will take less workers in an assembly plant, but it also all depends on volume as well. You're right. Uh, it's, that's going to be different, but there's also components um, that are in battery electric vehicles that will create additional jobs. For example, in our Ford Oakville plant, it's going to take up to about 300 300 people to assemble the battery electric batteries. Um, there's going to be different switches. There's going to be different technology, which that in itself creates different jobs um, and, and different opportunities. So overall, if you're taking a look at a one for one, the answer is yes, there'll be less jobs. But, you know, if you look at the demographics of our workplaces, it's not as if the transformation is going to create layoffs. 
I mean, it's somewhat remarkable because I, I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario, and, and, you know, back in the day, there was places like Holmes Foundry and these kind of, First you know, thing that came to my mind when you said that. <laughs> right. Just making parts, making pieces that would get shipped to, I assume, you know, to Oakville, to Windsor, to, to Detroit. Um, and, and I always think, I wonder if that will happen with the EV industry. So much of it seems to be the technology maybe that we'd get from Asia or overseas, but it sounds like what you're saying is there's a possibility where you might see some of this industry springing up in uh, southwestern Ontario or Quebec, possibly. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, if you if you look at the key ingredients in a battery electric vehicle, because that is the big piece of technology, what does it require? Cobalt, magnesium, nickel, aluminum. We are probably one of the only nations in the world that has all four. So what pleases me is the fact that you've got the federal government and provincial talk governments talking about attracting um, a, a, a part supplier to really utilize the raw materials that we have in this country. So this is the first time I will argue that governments are actually having a strategic discussion on putting our raw materials and natural resources to work for Canadians. Because if you look at our history, we've always been quite comfortable allowing other companies uh, to mine our raw materials and ship it overseas. And we would always buy back the finished product. So all of a sudden there's that type of proactive discussion going on that we should have been having for a long time. So like I said, this is gonna be new. It's gonna be new investments. It's gonna be dealing with where the future of the industry is heading. But it's also about finding real solutions to put Canadians to work based on our strengths as a nation. So there's a lot of opportunities here. Yeah, it, it seems like that. It seems like, I mean, in many ways, Canada could be, you know, a leader in this. Uh, um, it could be, as you say, we have the components. We certainly have the skilled workforce. Um, is there some, such a thing as like a federal czar that is overseeing this? It sounds like there's kind of a myriad players. So who do you go to? I mean, who who and you, you and your team, who are your touch points for this stuff? You know, what a, what a question, because we've been screaming for the longest time for a national auto industry or a national auto czar, um, you know, a, the, a whole argument of the federal and provincial, provincial governments coming together with academia, the labor movement. We've been talking about a national auto strategy for decades. So without it being formally in place, it's as if the federal and provincial governments, the light switch finally went on and they're working together closer today uh, than they ever have. Um, I sit on, it's called CAPSI, which is the Canadian Automotive Partnership Committee. And we've been talking about having an auto czar, one-stop shopping, and we are, are, are doing that. Um, we've had um, the former head of Toyota, um, I've had a, a brain cramp right now for his name, um, did a heck of a lot of work pulling, up, pulling it all together. Because what we need is a one-stop shopping situation where if people want to invest in the auto industry in Canada, they shouldn't have to jump through all kinds of hoops, figure out who they're going to speak to. There should be one phone call going to one person, and then they would then put into place all the necessary things in order to make this a reality. Yeah, make, makes total sense to have someone like that. Um, you know, in the past, in past seasons on the podcast, I've had, you know, discussions with people about the hydrogen sector in Canada. And, you know, there seems to be a frustration on their part that they're kind of operating in one corner and these EV or the the all electrics are operating somewhere else. And they just, 
want to all sit at the same table, but those opportunities just don't seem to be there right now. We have such opportunity, as you just laid out another another example. I mean, we really do need to put aside the politics of the country, the lines of demarcation and say, okay, how do we do this? How do we create jobs using the different technologies and the different strengths that are available to us? I mean, I have seen during the panda- uh, pandemic, uh, you know, a sense of cooperation as to the priority of the country is let's deal with this. Let's deal with the, uh, with the immediate um, uh, carnage. Let's deal with the challenges that the pandemic has brought us. And I've seen an unusual aura of cooperation uh, between different governments. Once this is done, there should be that same aura of cooperation, putting people to work and having the type of discussions about how we do it. Yeah, certainly diversification is a word that comes up a lot, right? I mean, what, especially when it comes to a province like Alberta, where where there, there needs to be solutions to get them back to work and to, again, tap into that extremely hardworking, talented workforce that is there. Kind of leads me to this question. So what I'm seeing a lot of is OEMs, manufacturers, um, making proclamations about their uh, manufacturing plants becoming carbon neutral by, you know, 2030, 2040, 2050. So essentially what they're saying is outside of maybe buying carbon credits, it's all about renewable energy in many ways, uh, clean energy to power these big plants. Obviously in Canada, I mean, Quebec and British Columbia have huge amounts of uh, renewable power. Is that, I mean, those are traditionally not automaking places, but in this new world, it almost opens up the possibility that you could talk to manufacturers about setting up shop in those provinces to to achieve it. They're not going to get that in Mexico. Oh, there's no question about it. And I'm going back to the original point that I was making. It's about time we had a discussion about our putting our strengths, um, making our strength a part of a national strategy for putting people to work. So it's interesting that you raised this because to the workers in Alberta and Saskatchewan and our members in the oil and energy sector, when you start talking about just transition, that in their mind, it believes they're going to lose their jobs because there is no strategy that says, here's what we mean when we're talking about just transition. So let me give you an example. So with the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, that's going to cause even more stress. Uh, to working class people in Alberta and Saskatchewan. It's going to put even a bigger challenge on our oil and energy sector. So at the same time that you've got the Biden administration in the United States talking about green, you've got the Trudeau government in Canada talking about green. We know that there is going to be mass retirements within the auto sector in Canada just based on the demographics. We know there's going to be major investments in green technology and battery electric vehicles in Canada. Why wouldn't we start having a discussion about the workers in the oil and energy sector migrating to assembling battery electric vehicles? Because that really is just transition when you start talking about losing a job in in a sector that is going to be incredibly challenged more than it already is. But then identifying the future, as you laid out as well, Um, you know, with the different forms of power and moving those workers into that type of energy source. So there's all kinds of opportunities. We just need to talk about it. 
Yeah, it just as you get back to it, just seems to be you need a unifying force to 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 make it all happen as to, as opposed to all of us running around and obviously regionalism in politics have always been a bit of an undoing when it comes to that in Canada. Yep, look, it it takes political will and political common sense because you know if you if you take a look at what's going on today in Alberta, I mean you've got you got Jason Kenney saying, listen, I invested a billion and a half dollars in the Keystone XL pipeline and somebody better give me my billion and a half dollars. Well, Joe Biden's not going to give it to him. Justin Trudeau's not going to give it to him. So the argument now becomes or should be top in Jason Kenney's mind. What jobs are we going to create for the workers who are going to lose their job over time? And that's why your discussion about renewable energy should be a part of the discussion, because we have to deal with the reality that we're looking at today. I mean, it's my members in the oil and energy sector, so I'm very cognizant about their jobs and their futures. But I also understand that, you know, if we just wait to see how things are going to unfold, that's not a very good strategy. You've got to sit back and say, OK, if this is inevitable, we have some time. But what's the plan? Like the, the one of the little tidbits that is least understood in Canada is that there's more wind turbines in Alberta than any other province in the country. That's right. And most people wouldn't expect that or know that at all. Right. So there already has been, you know, others in the past that have started to take a look at what happens if. Yeah, as you say, maybe one of the silver linings of the pandemic is this, um, we've put aside a lot of things to work together to get through it, and hopefully that spirit carries on after it. It's going to have to. Yeah. Because I will argue that politicians will be punished um, that don't understand that. Just a couple more questions. So how is your membership reacting? I mean, the auto, the auto workers to the idea of building EVs. I mean, is it a job's a job and they're happy, or do they see you know, an opportunity for generations beyond them to be part of this? Look, our members have never been more content. Uh, there's no question when we started talking about battery electric vehicles and the transformation, uh, they, they viewed us as us being very aggressive um, because the priority was maintaining their jobs. And, didn't, you know, we're a little nervous about us leading with our chin, which I historically have been known to do. But ultimately, once they saw that we were successful. And once they saw that the federal and provincial governments were very quick to jump on board uh, to, to assist us in the transformation, the, there was an element of confidence and almost as if an incredible weight was lifted off their shoulders because they know that's where the industry is heading and they know they're going to be a part of it. So people are feeling incredible. I've spoken, I've had more emails from our members in the auto industry thanking us um, for, you know, for providing them with the with an element of, of financial structure, some security with their jobs, and knowing that they are gonna be on the leading edge of the future as it relates to the industry. So people are feeling great. Look, these are the best ratification meeting numbers we ever had. I've been bargaining in the auto industry for at least 15, 18 years. And these are by far the best ratification meetings I can remember. Well, that's great to hear. Okay, I'm going to get you out of here on one last question. So what's, what would be your advice to a young listener out there who would want to get a good union job building EVs in Canada? 
I mean, how do they go about it? What do they need to learn? Well, first of all, I know that you're, there will be change. There is going to be some changes uh, based on the straight demographics of our workplace. I expect that our Cami plant in Ingersoll will likely be hiring in the uh, fourth quarter of 2023, early 2024, just based on the amount of people we have today that are retirement eligible and the amount of people it's going to take to build uh, the commercial vehicles in Ingersoll. No question in my mind that as we get off and running in Oakville, based on the same uh, demographics, there's going to be opportunities for hiring. The same thing with Windsor. We will recall the third shift based on that announcement. But once again, they're talking about hiring uh, hundreds of additional people, another 500. So it really is about, you know, wanting a future in the auto industry, understanding the challenges, understanding the challenges of the work and the, and the commitment that it'll take. But look, I do know that our members that work in the auto industry have good working class jobs, are able to provide for their family. And hopefully with these investments, there's going to be uh, quite an element of security for the long term. So, you know, it's just a question of waiting and apply. That's Unifor National President Jerry Diaz. Thanks for joining us today, Jerry. Pleasure's always mine, Andrew. You take care. Well, lots to be optimistic about there, particularly if Canadian policymakers, industry leaders, and the private sector embrace the idea of our country becoming a big player in the electric vehicle and electric vehicle component business. It seems like a great opportunity, and one we are well positioned to take advantage of. I just fear that the usual issues that hinder our potential as a country, namely regionalism, politics, and a risk-averse nature, see that opportunity squandered. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest Jerry Diaz, producer extraordinaire Dar McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedinpostmedia.com. For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews. You'll also be able to access a new series of virtual auto events called Driving into the Future, being held throughout March. By registering, you can listen and engage with a virtual panel of leading figures in the Canadian and global automotive and energy sectors. Visit events.driving.ca to sign up for free. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1, 2, and 3. 